Christian Parenting. Welcome to Parenting Today's Teens, a daily podcast that provides stories, insights, and wisdom to help you as a parent gain a deeper relationship with your teen. On today's episode, Mark Gregston answers some of your most pressing questions. Let's hear what he has to say. You guys have sent in some amazing questions, and so I want to dive right into it. You know, the first question is this. I'm going to tell you all the questions we're going to be talking about today, and and um, I've, I've tried to kind of link these questions up. So I'm trying to hit two birds with one and a half stones, if you will. But it basically is saying they're, they're kind of connected here uh, in pairs. And so um, I'm going to answer them that way. Uh, this mother asks, and she says, our college daughter is embracing a lifestyle apart from how she was raised, and we've seen it coming, uh, but she has uh, yet to come forward herself and tell us about it. But here's, here's the big question. What advice would you give us as we take into consideration expenses for an adult child walking down the wrong path that we don't want to participate in? What a great question, because I think a lot of parents get stuck in that. This is what happens. You spend a lot of time helping your child through the years, and they have an expectation that you're going to continue to do so after they start making poor choices in your mind. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. The other question that's linked is, is linked to that is my daughter is going to be 18 in March. She's getting a degree in May. Um, and the, it's not so much the timing of this as much as it is I pulled it out because I thought it would be a wonderful thing to talk about. When you have kids that maybe have graduated from school, are getting ready to graduate, and they are thinking that I can just now do anything that I want, but they're still living in your home. And so... Um, so this mom writes and said, I know she said that when she turns 18, she can just leave and take all the trips she wants. And um, are there any pointers you have for us? There are, and I'll give those to you. The next question is this. I'm a single mom of a 14-year-old daughter. Um, her father has not been involved with uh, raising her, but I've been in a long-term relationship with a boyfriend. We've been together for four and a half years, and during that time, my boyfriend has stepped in to help me raise her. Now the young lady is kind of rebelling, and and um, and the daughter said this recently. We recently got into an argument, and she says she wished she was never here and that she wants to stay with someone else. Um, give me some advice. Here's another question that somebody says, I'm a single mom, um, and I want to parent the right way. Um, but how, how do I, um, meet teens where they are? Because those are things, Mark, that you always talk about. We'll talk about that. Another mom writes, says, I have a 13 year old boy I caught. Guess what? Guess what? I caught twice now watching pornography on his mobile phone, but talking to him, he tells me that he's watched over a long period of time. He understands, but says the devil tempts him. And even though he tries to avoid watching it, he watches it again. How can we help him stop watching it? This is a 13-year-old young man. Another uh, question here is, hey, we need some wisdom. Um, my husband died last year, and it's been a difficult time for 
uh, me and my two sons, who are 20 and 15. They're both processing the loss in such different ways. Uh, when processing anger, sadness, and loss in the normal season of breaking away from mom, which a 15-year-old and a 20-year-old do, are there any suggestions that you would have to pass along? Great question. Here's another question. I have a son that is 17 and struggles with anger, and he's been in counseling for several years, but I've been divorced for a long time. He's played soccer for five years, but he tore his ACL, and after seven months, he came back to soccer and he got his other knee uh, and tore his ACL in meniscus. So he's having a lot of anger. I don't know how to help him. And here's a, a grandparent that writes in and says, our grandson is just getting by with his grades, and we're concerned that if he continues, he's not going to graduate. How do we motivate him? Great questions. Kind of covers the gamut. It's single moms. It's single dads. It's a grandparent. It's step-parenting. It's parents wrestling through issues. It's the death of somebody. I mean, I think these are wonderful questions. Okay, here's the thing. Here's the first question. Our college daughter is embracing a lifestyle apart from how she was raised. Um, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time talking about what uh, what she's been doing. But I will say this, that parents have a choice to make when their child turns 18 and starts saying, I can do whatever I want. You can't tell me um, what to do anymore. I am going to head out on my own. And and here's the problem, is that they want mom and dad to finance it. And so this question is, what advice would you give us as we take into consideration expenses for an adult child walking down the wrong path and one that we don't want to participate in? Okay, here here's here's where you start. You have to consider this, that your child, whatever they're doing, is finding something in everything that they're doing. They're doing things for a reason. And I, I've mentioned on other podcasts where we've talked about that all behavior is goal-oriented, that they're motivated by what they're getting from something. And the only thing that you want to get is something you don't have, because if you have it, you don't need it. But evidently, whatever she's doing, She's doing something because she's not getting it elsewhere. You have to ask yourself that question, mom and dad and grandparents. Why does your child do what they do? And what are they getting from somebody else that they're not getting from me? And that's the best place to start. Don't rant and say, well, you know, here you are taking the sides of a kid and we're kind of stuck. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that before you look at the speck in somebody else's eye, look at the log in your own and see if there's something that you're doing that is not meeting the needs of your child. The second part of this to consider is simple, because I get this question quite a bit. Um, you know, I think uh, kids experiment, and they're curious, and and they do things to get attention and uh, get people to like them. They want to belong somewhere. They want to feel like there's a place for them somewhere. And so this culture is allowing uh, questions about everything. And one of those is gender. One is about whether you're heterosexual, homosexual, whether you're pansexual, multisexual, what, whatever it is. And I, and I, I don't want to get in discussion of that. But, but people ask me this all the time. Can sexual orientation change? And I go, sure it can. Sure it can. You can have a bad experience with somebody sexually and decide, you know what, I don't like that. I want something different. And so if that's true, if that's true, then a child, whatever they're pursuing, if it is sexual orientation, um, they may change their mind somewhere. If they change their mind to move that direction, they may change. They may change their mind to move out of that. And if they do, as a mom or dad, 
would you want to abandon your daughter at a time that she might need you the most? Are you following me on that? Okay, let me give you a quick example. I was eating cauliflower one time, and I got sick off of it. Now I don't like cauliflower. Hate it. Don't want to touch it. Don't want anything to do with it. So my orientation toward cauliflower has changed. The other thing is I grew up eating salmon croquettes, which were the most, I thought, God, G-A-W-D, God-awful food that has ever been prepared on the planet Earth. My mom would take it out of a can, put it in a frying pan, and make us eat it, and I'd stick it down my pants, run to the bathroom, and dump it in the toilet. It, I, I hated it. I hated it. I'll tell you my, my number one food right now, salmon. I love it. Absolutely love it. So can things change? Absolutely. And my point of it isn't, you know, whether you're going to be a salmon lover or hater or whether you're going to eat cauliflower or be gay or not be gay. That's not the point. The point is that things change. And if things change, I want to make sure that, that I'm around and I'm involved with my child so that I don't abandon them at the time that they need me the most. And I say that from personal experience. My son came to me once and said, Dad, I've fallen in love with somebody else. And I said, well, there's a little bit of a problem there. And the problem is you're already married to your college sweetheart. And he said, it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. And you know what I told him? Yeah, here's, it's crazy. This is crazy. You think, why would a dad say this uh, to their child? And in reflection, it's something I said 20 years ago to him. I said, well, let's do this. Why don't you call her dad? the one that you promised that you would take care of her, why don't you call him and explain to him how you're abandoning, how you're abandoning his daughter. And when you've done that, I'll be happy to talk to you. But I'm not talking to you, so don't call me. Here's the crazy thing. My son was lost. And at a time that he was lost, when he was making bad decisions, I wasn't there. And I wasn't there because he annoyed me and made me upset. And you have to ask that question. Can I still love my child even though they're doing things wrong and something that I don't want? Here's my son needing me desperately. He moved into a, a Ramada Inn. And this isn't an anti-Ramada Inn, but this, this place was a dump. So he moves into a Ramada Inn, sleeps in one room. And his family abandoned him. You know, when I look back on that, I wish I was mature enough then to realize that I could still love my child when they're doing things that I don't like. And, and it, it just means that if you're on that journey, you're going to have to make some decisions about how do you continue to love them and what does participation in what they're doing really look like? Uh, provision quickly moves to enabling. But if I'm not present in the life of my child, then what happens is this. They don't have the opportunity to hear anything different or hear a voice of reason or maybe a voice of wisdom. I hope you're following me on this one. So so, so here's some things that I would ask you. You know, when, when you're trying to determine what, what you can deal with and what you can't deal with, uh, what are some things you just don't care about? If it's about your child, you can, you know, I don't care. I mean, do whatever. It doesn't matter to me. But there may be some things. What are some things that, that you don't like, but they're tolerable? 
Or the third thing, what are you adamantly opposed to? And the next question would be this, for what are you willing to lose your son or daughter over? What are your absolutes? Or you say, absolutely not. And I, I just warn parents this, be careful, be careful. Your child may be doing something that you don't agree with, but it doesn't mean you can't provide for school. At the same time, your child may be doing something that you don't agree with, and this is the time you say, okay, I, I can't go this distance. I'm not going to support you in school. You have to make that decision. But I want you to know it can be either one, but you've got to make that decision. I can't make it for you. I can tell you that, that there are times that I've eliminated people in my life that I wish I would have stayed around because they've come around and they've made changes and they are now at a different place than they were when I was experiencing them. Just some food and thought for fodder. Here's another question. My daughter's going to be 18. How do I deal with her in our home when she wants to stay? And she said, I can now come and go. I can do whatever I want. I would ask you, what are your house rules? And if you've never had house rules, maybe now's the time to do it, where you say, sweetheart, look, this is what we're doing. Our house is going to be closed up at 12 o'clock. If you live here, you're going to have to carry on a job. We want you to have freedom. We want you to be in control. If you're going to be here to eat, let us know. If you're not going to be here to eat, let us know. But it's not going to be just a place for you to come park, sleep, and then leave and not have anything to do with us. We're not just not a rent house. We're not an apartment. We're not a place that you can do that. And so if, if that really bothers you as a parent, then you need to say, you know what, this isn't the place. Let's help you find another place to go to. Now, the, the person says, my daughter, you know, is going to be 18 soon. That means they're still 17. And it may be that you don't kick them out. You just say, okay, here's some things. Here's some just plain basic house rules. We have this rule at our home that our doors are locked at 12 o'clock at night. And we have our different staff that stay with us. Many of you know that I uh, run a, a, a home for kids and we have 65 struggling kids and in a program called Heartlight where they come and live with us for a year. But we have a lot of staff, 30 staff that live with us that live with these kids. And on their nights off, they want to come stay with us. And when they do, I tell them this, you're welcome to come. Whatever is in my home is yours. My house is your house. Mi casa es su casa. But the doors lock at 12 o'clock because I get up really early. And so I don't want to be woken up at two o'clock in the morning. No one might have to get up in a couple hours. Um, and so those, those are the only house rules. Pick up after yourself. And if you do laundry, make sure that the laundry room is, is cleaned up and the room is ready for the next person. Those are just basic rules that we have. So what are your rules? Here's another question. I have a, I'm a single mom and I have a 14 year old daughter that challenges me daily. Um, I am in a four and a half year relationship with a boyfriend uh, my daughter's father is not involved in her life, and and my daughter's challenging, and and we re recently got into an argument. And she said uh, something that I wish the, I would have never heard, but what she said was, "I really don't want to be here anymore, and I want to stay with somebody else." And so these, this is the question that this mom asked. She goes, "Hearing those words broke me." She has also come out and told my boyfriend 
and I that she doesn't like my boyfriend telling her to do things and that she wishes she only had to deal with me and not both of us together. Okay, mom, let me tell you something. I don't blame your daughter. You know, what happens is this, the role of a step-parent, and that's kind of the role that your boyfriend is playing, the role of a step-parent is tough because it reminds a young lady or a young man of what he doesn't have. It reminds him that he doesn't have a father in his life, so he has a stepfather. And it's very hard for a child who's been away from somebody to have somebody else move in that is loving their mother and now kind of pulling them away from the child. It's, it's difficult because she may look at this man as replacement of her dad, you know, and one that is pulling the love of her mother to somebody else. So she's responding and she's saying, I don't want him telling me what to do. And I think that's fair. You know, I, I think that mom, you need to be the one telling her what to do. And you sit down and have a weekly talk or you go get ice cream or coffee or go eat a meal together, do something and work through some of the difficulties and hardships that you have. But I would tell the boyfriend, do this, do this. Start developing a relationship with this young lady. And maybe one day she'll ask you to give her away at her wedding. But the way it's going now, it's not going to happen. And so work hard to develop the relationship and stay out of places where she feels uncomfortable submitting to your role. Now, that just comes from a little bit of experience of what I've seen with a lot of step families. Um, a word to the wise. Somebody else wrote and said, um, hey, you're making an impact on, on the lives of our teens and their parents, and I'd really like to have you uh, help me with how do I meet my teens where they are? You know, it. I would tell you to meet them where they are, not always dragging them where you are. The tendency is we start the first 12 years of their life in a teaching mode where we're teaching them and, and we want to bring them to us. But at some point at age 12 on up, now it's a matter of us going to them. And it doesn't mean that I am, I, I don't want great things for my child, nor am I involved in the life of my child. But what it does mean is that instead of bringing you to me spiritually, I want to come to you and figure out where you are spiritually. Instead of, you know, bringing you to me emotionally, I want to figure out how, where you are in your emotions you're a single mom, then, then chances are that you've had an ex. And so emotionally, you may be trying to bring your son to where you are, where you don't like him and don't want to be around him, but your son still longs to have a relationship with a father. So emotionally, don't pull him that way. Physically, don't pull him that way. Mentally, let them think differently than you do. And I think that's where it means that you go where they are. That it's, it's not, I'm, I'm not going to sit wherever I am and say, come to me, but I'm going to go to them. And I go to them by doing things that they want to do, that, that I eat at places that they want to eat at. I take them where they want to go. I do things around, I give them gifts that, that they want, not that I think they should have. I, I have discussions with them that they long to have, not the ones that I want to have all the time. Are you following me? Now, it doesn't mean that I let, I let them rule the roost and do everything, and there's no rules or expectations. I'm not saying that at all. 
but relationally, I want them to know that I'm there for them and they are not here for me. And it's just a change of mindset that helps a child realize that I'm here as a as an ally and not an enemy, that I want to engage with you. I don't want to fight with you. I want to walk alongside you and help you get to where you want to go and keep you from where you don't want to end up. It's all a mindset that just changes, and it changes from this teaching mode to a training mode. And it means that I'm going to train you for the world that you're going to live in. I'm not going to try to train you to live in the world that I live in. That's what I talk about when I say, meet your teens where they are. The next question is this. I caught my 13-year-old boy looking at porn. Imagine that. I know there's not another mother out there that has caught their son looking at porn. I say that jokingly. It's amazing to me that out of the 4.3 million porn sites there are in the world, it's everything I prayed for when I was in the seventh grade. You know, I I just, there was just an attraction. There was hormones started to rage, and I thought, if I can just see a naked woman. And I don't say that to give permission or carte blanche attitude that says it's okay to look at porn. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying that there's longings there, and I think it would be very difficult for a young man not to look at porn if he has access to it. The, the issue is access. That internet gives them access. And somebody says, well, take away the internet. Poke out their eyes. Nah, I'm not, I'm not saying that. Where there are not internal boundaries, you've got to help create external boundaries. You know, because this, he's always going to have that desire. He's wired that way. I mean, men are visually stimulated. He's curious. He's adventurous. He's intrigued. He's, he's tempted. And so when it's easily acceptable, he goes there quickly. And so, so I, I would tell him that, that we've got to have some boundaries here. I'm going to check your history. I, I'm going to put a, an app called Covenant Eyes on your phone that every time you look at porn, it'll let me know. And is that going to work? Is that going to keep him from ever looking at porn until he graduates from high school and leaves your home? The answer is no. But what it's doing is showing that you have a concern for him. You know, anything that's done in hiding uh, a, a child knows that it's wrong, and chances are he's hiding things from you. Or he's blaming you and says, you know, it's the devil that's making me do it. He, you know, that's the, the question says he understands that the devil tempts, and, and even though he tries to avoid watching it, he watches again. You know, it, it, Scripture says, how come the very things that I want to do I have the hardest time doing, and the things I don't want to do I find myself doing? You know, wretched man that I am. So the point of it is this, is understand the nature that, of, of what he's going through. And it, what that will do is flavor the way that you respond to him, where you're not jumping down his throat all the time, but what you're doing is encouraging him. You're going to encourage him with boundaries, you know, and, and you don't have to spend all your time saying, this is going to affect your mind. He doesn't care about those things. He's 13. Or it's going to affect your future relationships. Those aren't the discussions to have. I would tell a man, not all women are like that, and you don't need to be looking at stuff because there's a reason why you hide it, because God made you that way, and he's preparing you for the woman you're going to marry one day. Move in that direction. But here's the other thing I want to mention to you. Sometimes kids look at porn because it makes them feel like a man, and there is something about wanting to be a man. And I think about that, a 13-year-old kid, scrawny little kid that looks at himself and saying, I'm just a punk kid. And he's surrounded by all these girls, wherever they are, 
that have matured a lot quicker than when I was in seventh and eighth grade, and they're tempting him in some way, and he has access to look at naked women somewhere else, I can see where it makes him feel like a man in a world where he feels very immature and doesn't feel like a man. I think every young 13-year-old boy wants to become a man. And so if it makes him feel that way, it may be an escape. It may be a vacation. It, it may be just something that he can entertain himself. So it's being very careful, saying, I'm going to put some boundaries up, but also have an understanding that he's wired that way and he lives in a culture that is very permissive and allows that. Here's another question. Somebody says, um, my husband died. And um, we've all been grieving. And I have a 15 and 20-year-old son. Of course, they're moving away from their mother because that's normal at that age. But they're both processing anger and sadness and, and um, just having a tough time, uh, a real tough time. Any suggestions? You know, I'll tell you this. Grief is always um, different for every person. Uh, James Taylor, a wonderful singer, uh, said this once. I don't think it's in a song. Uh, well, no, I, let me back up. It is in a song. He says, I, I cut up my losses into doable doses. And what that means is that everybody grieves differently. Uh, I've mentioned that my dad died, and I, don't, I didn't really grieve over my dad. I don't know whether I ever will. I mean, it's, I don't know. Uh, but I know it's different than I see other people, the way they grieve over their parents. And I just know that there's a difference and I see that continually. But I would encourage you to do this. Talk about it. Don't be afraid to sit around the table sometime and say, what is it that you miss the most about your dad? What's the one thing that you're thankful for about your dad? Um, what are you going to miss the most? What would you, what, what do you think your dad would say about you right now? Do you think you'll be a better father one day because of the father that you had? And so it's, it's, it's in that sense of, of extreme loss, uh, in the presence of feeling that sense of hopelessness, that, that some discussions can be had. And I would encourage you to do that. People have a tough time talking about death. I wrote a book called Where's Stitch, and it's about a death of my dog. But quite honestly, it's really about learning that it's okay to remember and to talk about those things that, that mean something to you, that we don't have to hide them and stuff them and come up with stupid answers. I mean, when my dog died, everybody said, well, across the rainbow bridge. Well, she's in doggy heaven. And I go, really? Is that all you've got? Is that all you've got? A dog that was the end of 42 years, the same lineage of dogs, a dog that slept with us, my wife and I, for 13 years dog that went with me everywhere, and you're telling me that she crossed a rainbow bridge? I don't even know what that is. Is that the best you've got? And I think it's people's attempt to kind of calm it. Let's move on. Go get another dog. Get it over with. And I go, you know what? I think that's how we handle grief. So people have said that the Stitch book is, is truly one that's kind of a religious treatise in the form of a children's book. And they're absolutely right. Somebody else says this, I've got a son that's 17 and struggles with anger and low self-esteem. He's been in counseling for several years, but he's torn his legs up playing soccer and he's just mad. You know, anger is an emotional response to not getting what you want. And uh, mom, you mentioned in here that you've been divorced for 10 years and every young man wants a dad. Every young man wants to not be uh, filled with anger. They don't want to be 
filled with low self-esteem. They want something different. So they're motivated. So the one thing where he probably feels like a man and feels like he can grow up and grab something was him playing and involved in sports. So now he's blown both knees out and he can't do that. He has every right to be angry. I think the way that you help him with that is a, is just talking about loss the same way that I said earlier, that um, it's okay to talk about stuff like that. I was fired from a job once uh, years ago, and I made a comment to a friend of mine. I said, I can't believe that that guy fired me. He goes, no, 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 hey, 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 hey. We're not going to talk like that. What he told me was, we're not going to talk about hard things. And I would tell everybody this, that if you want to connect with teens, talk about the hard stuff. Talk about the real hard stuff. Speak to the elephant in the room. Don't hesitate to say, hey, we got to talk about some things. Um, it's a way to bring relationships together, but it's also a way to bring healing in relationships as well. And here's the last question that I think is good. Uh, our grandson is just getting by with grades and we're afraid that he's not going to graduate. What should we do? Okay, do this. Let him suffer the consequences of not graduating. Maybe go to summer school, maybe have to pick up another class, whatever that is. Let him do that or pay him off. Pay him off. Uh, what's attractive to him? And here's the reason I say that. What's it worth to you, Grandpa? If you think it's so important, do this. You know, you're going to give him all your money anyway. You're going to give it to your kids and your grandkids. So if it really means a lot to you, entice him with money and say, look, if you'll go ahead and graduate and study, I'll give you X amount of money. How much money? Well, what would entice him? If he only needs $2,000 to buy a new car, he may do it just to get the new car. But that way, you pass on to him some money that you're going to eventually give him or his parents anyway. Uh, you encourage him and get something out of it because he's fulfilling what you want him to do. And he's benefiting because there's a secondary result that the money he gets may help him in some way. I hope that doesn't sound too... Uh, weird. But I believe that it's okay to do that with your kids. Because if I can do something and help them get to a better spot and accomplish and meet some of my expectations, then uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Hey, folks, I hope these answers have, uh, have uh, really given you some answers and some food for thought where you can go through and go, you know what, maybe I can change the destiny of my family by just handling things a little bit different and do it in such a way that it deepens the relationship that I have with my kids. Hey, thanks for joining me. I'm Mark Gregston, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Parenting Today's Teens. For more information, you can visit parentingtodaysteens.org, heartlightministries.org, or markgregston.com. We'll be back here on Monday for another great episode. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you then.